Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris. And today we have a repeat guest with us, one of my girlfriends, Tiffany Bloom. She was actually on episode 87 and we talked about how to own your voice and the power of consent. So we talked about consent all the way from the boardroom and work and friendships all the way to the bedroom. So after this episode, go ahead and check out our other episode, episode 87, How to Own Your Voice. And before I tell you a little bit more about her, in case you you haven't been listening to my podcast for several years, I want to tell you about my book that's coming out that's April. It's called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. Y'all, this is for sure the most vulnerable and hardest project I've ever worked on in my whole life. I'm I'm the girl who almost failed a freshman level writing class her last semester of college. And here I am writing this book. It's all about my journey of growing up in Southern Christian culture, learning a set of rules and shame-based narratives about sex and desire and my body and dating, and really not questioning that until I moved to New York City almost 10 years ago now. And so it's all about my journey of navigating what is God's heart for relationships? What's God's heart for intimacy? What 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 do I believe about sex and relationships and intimacy? And how do I actually walk out my singleness and dating with honor, connected to my values and not connected to shame? So I would love, love to invite you to pre-order this book. I think it's really going to encourage a lot of a lot of humans. I hope it does. That's my heart. You can pre-order that on Amazon.com, Kindle, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book online. I would just be so honored if you pre-ordered that. And then when you do, email me at social at therefinedwoman.com and I would love to send you some free goodies as a thank you for joining me in the journey. All right. On to Miss Tiffany. Tiffany is the author of She Dreams and Never Alone and their companion Bible studies. She is co-host of the podcast Why Though, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and speaks at conferences and events around the world. Her work has been featured in World Vision Magazine and on the YouVersion Bible app, the Hallmark Channel, and the Jenny McCarthy Show. She leads an engaged online community and is committed to encouraging people of faith to live with conviction, substance, and grace. As a minority immigrant woman with an interracial family, Bloom is passionate about inviting all to the table of faith, equality, justice, and dignity. She lives in the Pacific Northwest, and her next book, Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women 
who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up is dropping in March of this year. Now, friendly warning, Tiffany and I are going to be talking about some delicate topics today. So if you have little ears around, maybe pop in those headphones or give it a listen when you have some alone time or going on a walk or in your car by yourself. All right. Without any more babbling, what is up, Tiffany? Hey, girl. Hey. Good to be here. I feel like do I get like a, a a participation ribbon for being a repeat guest? Like, is that going to come in the mail? Is that something I can print <laughs> off in a PDF? I don't yes, know. I'm just yes. really pumped you, to be a repeat guest. Yes, I know that's already mailed. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the it's I'm three years in. How how long are how many years are you and Ashley in with your podcast? Oh man, we're we're two and a half. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if, how you guys feel. I mean, honestly, I'm jealous of you guys sometimes because you have co-hosts, so you guys can just talk with each other. But the more I podcast, the more I'm kind of like, I just kind of want to talk to my friends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes it uh, easy. You don't have to. You don't have to bring all the energy to the table per se because you're not. You're mm-hmm. not in the hot seat the whole time, making sure that the conversation's going. You only have to do fifty percent of that, so it works out. <laughs> it works out. Yes. Okay. So before we kind of dive into some deep talk topics, that's like talking points and topics I love in it. one word. It's now in the Webster's Merriam Dictionary. It's fine. It's a compound word. It. It's fine. <laughs> Wiki, you can add Perfect. anything there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. We first have to talk about your Instagram game because your meme game is freaking strong. Girl, what? Thank you so much. That is the, that is the, I'm going to add that to my resume. That's the nicest thing anyone yeah. has ever said about me. Because here's the thing. Honestly, there's so much. I think, can I tell you something? Why my meme game has gotten stronger over the past (laughs) couple months? I actually have had, I had an epiphany and this is it. Life is a dumpster fire, Kat. We know this. Life is a rotting dumpster fire and it's so difficult. (laughs) And I have to find the wild wonder and beauty. And I think laughter is one of the best ways to do that. And so late at night, my husband and I, we just find these funny things on Twitter and send them to each other. And then the best ones I post. <laughs> so it's a, it's a joint effort, oh but yeah, it's a, it's some good stuff. Good stuff. Oh my gosh. I just, I, all I want to do is laugh. I feel like it's like just medicine for my soul right now. And <laughs> although you posted a video this morning on your IG stories about a woman, like a, I'm guessing it's like a husband and wife. And she was doing some cheerleading. He was throwing her up in the oh air and the little daughter was watching. And I was like, I feel like I'm like, I was transported back to the early nineties when I was a kid watching rescue 911. <laughs> Remember that show? <laughs> no, I, I was like, not. what is going to happen right now? <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. They were, they were cheerleaders. I'm guess I, I made up a whole backstory for them. I'm like, clearly they fell in love oh, with cheer camp and they made it work. And here they are 10 years later, still living the glory days, keeping fit. And they had this two-story great room and you know, they bought that house just so they could stunt. You know, they did that. And then that, that daddy be throwing his baby in the air. I thought I was going to lose my my lunch. I was like this, I'm calling CPS. This is not okay. You can't be throwing your baby in the air for the Instagram. No. Okay. So is your husband, one of those husbands that like does the balancing thing with the bait, with the kiddos? Like, you know how some dads are like, I'm holding the brand new baby with my palm and like, and the baby's standing up. Yes. No, that we're not crazy fools. We, my health insurance isn't that good. (laughs) I can't be messing with that. (laughs) You're like, thank you, Obama, Obamacare, thank you, health insurance. But when I see those dads like out in the pool, they're like, you know, they're in Maui on vacation and their babies like got like stiff legs and standing up and they're posting it. I'm like, We've peaked apparently because this is now the internet content. Nope. 
No, there's dads who have like 100,000 followers, yet journalists can't make a living. This is what we've come to, people. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, so that's a whole other, that's a whole episode right there. That's a mm. whole book or a library. What can we do to keep people interested, right? Stunt with your baby. Stunt with your baby. My sister was like, the other night we were hanging out and she goes, oh, I just got an email from People Magazine. They're giving me the latest headlines. <laughs> and it was like, you know... Something, something political that really matters. And then it was like, and Sadie Robertson is pregnant and enjoying pregnancy. And I was like, I mean, Sadie is great and all, but like, why do I care more about a stranger's pregnancy than I do about like policy? And it just felt like such a reflection of culture in that moment. It was like something important. And then like four other things that kind of don't even really matter. Right. But then you kind of care about those things that don't really matter more. But what belly cream is she using? Like, we want to know. Okay, know. are you the girl sometimes? Do you just ever stay up late at night? I am just throwing myself under the bus. I can't believe I'm telling people I do this. One time I was staying up late. I'm like, hmm, what pastor's wives have gotten plastic surgery? So then I just start Googling <gasps> and then away you go. See, there's curiosity, man. There's curiosity. Oh, yeah. We're a crazy I mean, people. I get Botox. So I am con- now it's like once you have Botox, you you this whole world opens up to you and you're like... Oh my gosh, that person has Botox. Oh, yeah, everybody does. Once you have it, you can kind of see everyone who does. And I mean, for such a long time, I was so ashamed of it. But then I was like, I really want it. What a great time to be alive. Shoot. Seriously, I'm like, thank you. Thank you, God, for my Botox. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone gets Botox. What was I freaking out about? The key is starting young. That's the key. Do you get Botox? I don't yet, but I am not afraid to put fillers in my face. No, thank I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. Like Here for the fillers. Yeah. My, so um, my esthetician is, she just turned 50 this year and she looks like she's 35. And obviously she like stays, I mean, she's an esthetician. She stays out of the sun. She's doing all, she has access to all the right creams and, and practices of what she should be doing. She's health nut, so healthy, drinks so much water. But um, she's like, hey, girl, we're, we're about 18 months away from getting some Botox for you, setting that up. I'm like, oh, we're there. Okay. She's been with me for 12 years. Like she was in the room when I had okay. my baby. Like, we're, we're close. What? But uh, She's like but, giving you a, a micro, like a microneedling facial as you're getting, <laughs> giving birth. <laughs> so very similar. Yes, that you joke, but we were, we were there. I, I looked at her and I was about to go um, into the operating room for my C-section. And I said, did you bring your tweezers? And I'm like whispering it. She's like, you have got to be kidding me. She's like, nobody in there taking your picture, girl. And I was like, but I'll know. I'll know if they're not even, if my brows aren't even. She's like, no way. So I made her put makeup on me and do my brows before I went into oh my gosh. the operating room. Yeah, You're so bougie. I love it. <laughs> All right, friends. It is February, which means a lot of things. One of those things, meaning that it is Black History Month. And one of the things I want to do this month to honor Black History Month is spend time talking about organizations and companies that I love that are run and founded by men and women of color. This week, I want to talk with you about Elevate New York. Elevate New York is a nonprofit with a mission to build long-term, life-changing relationships with urban youth, equipping them to thrive and contribute into their community. The team at Elevate New York serves and empowers youth from the South Bronx in New York. The kids of South Bronx are the most underserved and under-resourced congressional district in the nation. Just let that sink in for a minute. 
Elevate has been building relationships with schools in the South Bronx, and they go into the schools and do mentorship, tutoring, leadership development, writing exercises, and group discussions to build integrity and character and leadership qualities that will create and foster successful human beings. Elevate New York students develop teamwork and leadership skills year-round by participating in outdoor activities after school on weekends and during the summer as well. These programs allow students to build confidence in their own abilities by exploring experiences outside their comfort zone. I love Elevate New York. I support them. They are an incredible organization. I would love for you to check them out this month, this week, this very day. So go to elevatenewyork.org to figure out how you can get involved or financially support what the team in South Bronx is up to. You made your first reel. And I'd and like a gold it's medal. so good. You get a gold medal. Maybe um, a lobster dinner. I don't know. Instagram, a lobster dinner. Go go to Red Lobster. Get there. Okay, but you talk about what happens when women hold power. Mm-hmm. Which is like a heavy topic for a reel. Or maybe it's not, but can you unpack what you what you put on that reel and why you put it out there? Yeah. So my area of interest and work and writing is really about women's empowerment, women's equality, and addressing misnomers and lies about what happens when women hold power. Why does an imbalance of power always mean that women will lose in the end? And really looking at psychologically and theology and socially and professionally, how that affects women. And we often like to think that women will abuse power if they have it. In the first century, women didn't even hold value in court because it was assumed that they would lie for personal gain or they would lie out of fear. And yet we know history, research, and and even our Bibles tell us that when women hold power, nothing could be further from the truth. When they hold power, mm-hmm. the GDP goes up, uh, equitable spaces are created. In fact, in many countries around the world, when women sat on uh, city councils, safer streets were designed and the mm-hmm. sexual assault rate went down because they put light posts in more areas and they had cameras in more areas. They created safer spaces, all because women joined city councils in much of Western mm-hmm. Europe. So there's all this proof that shows you when women are in power, in fact, everyone wins, not just women, not just children, mm-hmm. but men and women are served when women have a voice at the decision-making table. Wow. Wow. So basically, we are here today to take down the patriarchy then. (laughs) Yes. I am (laughs) passionate about addressing unchecked misogyny and balance of power because this order that we've created, the patriarchy, right? Ordering humans. We order humans. And just like we Mm. talk about a caste system or we talk about Mm. how, uh, you know, people of color have been marginalized, the truth is that there are women everywhere who are suffering under the weight of expectation and submission mm-hmm. when that is not um, the gospel call for all of us. Yeah. And I mean, I hear you and I am with you. However, I grew up in, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I grew up in the South. And so South is, you know, very image driven and it's very, you know, I thought I was going to be married by the time I was 21 years old, popping out babies, and then I become a Christian. And so there's already that narrative that my aim in life is to be a wife, which I still want and long for that. I think that's a beautiful desire. However, then I get into church culture and all the women around me 
were quiet and mousy and didn't have a lot of opinions or I'd be like that that woman has something to say but right. her husband who is like a mediocre speaker but kind of charismatic <laughs> is the one with the mic so what what's the deal and for me I felt like I really it's like when I became a Christian I didn't know that I was signing up to really have to downplay who I really believed God created me to be, my strengths, my my strength, my power, my giftings, in order to make the men around me feel comfortable. But in the time, in the moment, I didn't think that. I thought, oh, like Scripture says that you know, men are the head of the household and wives submit to your husbands. So I I love God right. and I want to do it God's way. And so I I think for a long time I felt really confused, like this thing within me that felt like, man, who I am is I have something to say. I believe I have a seat at the table in leadership rooms, but everything about Christian culture told me no. And so I wanted to hear what you were taught about your role as a woman in the culture, in culture and in the church. Yeah. Well, I just first want to say it is so common for scripture to be weaponized against women. We start it as young as Sunday school and we work that through teen curriculum and youth group. And as adults, we find ourselves just like you said, with a clear, clear uh, capacity for leadership and and vision and vision casting and holding power and making decisions. Yet we're told that marriage and childbearing is the apex of the Christian life. And that is, again, that is not gospel. There, the, the patriarchy has no roots in the gospel, not one, not one. But we've weaponized both the Old and New Testament to convince us otherwise. So I grew up in a very egalitarian, so meaning men and women are equal, um, egalitarian faith space. So on, on paper, men and women were equal. Um, I, I was invited to preach in front of the congregation when I was 17 years old, alongside my white male youth pastor as his uh, as his successor in a way of like this is who the next what the next generation looks like. So from a very young age, I was told women have a place, women have a space. You're created to lead. You're created to contribute to human flourishing as equals to men. So that was that was really, really uh, played on repeat, and I believed every word, Kat. So when I found myself in my 20s in a space where, on, again, in on paper, women were equal, but in practice, it was this faux egalitarianism mm. where you were really just tokenized. It was really performative. We're, we have you in this room, and I'm, I'm Indian, by the way. For those of you who don't know, I'm an immigrant Indian woman living in America, Um. I, I was really propped up as like, hey, look, we're doing our part by having this person in the room. So it was mm-hmm. it was more performative. It wasn't power in practice. My voice was stifled. It wasn't held in high regard, although in mm-hmm. my optimism, I believed it was. And I did, I did feel so grateful for being in decision-making rooms at a really, really young age that would affect thousands of people um, in the in the space and work that I occupied. But I was no fool. I knew why I was there and I knew that this was checking a box. And I knew that although they said, again, written in stone that men and women are equal um, in practice, it was just as toxic as what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Just as toxic as sit down and shut up and look beautiful. And this is what is holy. And when you're fed that on repeat, as a man thinketh or woman, so we are. Mm -hmm. So we are. If you're constantly Mm -hmm. told that 
you need to be mousy and quiet. And this is what holiness looks like. You're going to believe that, especially if you have no narrative otherwise. Yeah. And it's so interesting to hear your experience. Did you grow up in the Pacific Northwest? I did. Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm even listening to you getting the opportunity to share in front of a mixed audience and you know, coming from Texas, that would have been such a no-no in the circles that I ran in. And like women, we, I I think I just, it was one of those things that was almost so, so visible that it was invisible. Mm. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it, but it took me a long time to see it. And even just like you're saying, you know, seeing like, oh, interesting. Okay. Well, maybe that woman is speaking, but she's playing, she's playing this game. I mean, I've had the, I've seen women that have had the leadership opportunities and it's like, that's not her truth. Right. Right. (laughs) Why why is she sharing that thing? Like that is keeping me oppressed or how come for, for me, my experience in the South was women were designated to harmonies on the worship team. So no lead vocals. <laughs> no way. Was, not even a lead vocal. Like lots of harmonies. I was like, oh, it's almost like the woman on stage feels like a prop yeah. or announcements or nursery or high school, high school ministry. But it was like, oh, well, once you get to be college, you know, you can't be speaking to mixed companies. And yeah. then I went to Bible school. I was a Bible major. And I went to a Bible school at a Baptist university. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I got a lot of, you know, metaphorical condescending pats on the head of how cute that you're studying the Bible and you're a woman. So, you know, you can't preach or anything. And <clears throat> at the time I thought, well, no, I know I can't because I'm a woman. <laughs> but I thought I would just be speaking, like leading Bible studies and stuff like that. Right. But then something happened. For me, the chasm started growing when I started reading the Bible. I would see things like, oh, uh, Solomon's wife in the Song of Songs is literally saying like, will you lie in between my breasts and go down on me? Like, whoa, what an empowered woman sharing in the bedroom, enthusiastic and informed consent of what she wants her lover to do to her. And then Queen Esther in the Old Testament using her influence and voice to help stop a genocide. And Ruth sneaking into Boaz's house that night and laying at his bed and proposing to him. And then Proverbs 31 just felt like this incredibly progressive, wow, the, the woman of godly character, of noble character, is a woman who is influential, who is, owns multiple businesses that are profitable, She uses her voice for wisdom and teaching. And then we see like New Testament stuff, you know, Lydia and other women helping fund the ministry of Jesus. And for me, I just started seeing all these things where I felt like there's a chasm between who I, the, the God and the Bible that seems very for women and my experience as a woman in faith circles. And so I kind of wanted to ask you if you if there are any if there are any moments for you where you're like, hey, this isn't this isn't consistent with the God I'm reading about in Scripture. Yeah, yeah, I love that you brought up positive examples because it's also littered with 
examples of what happens when the patriarchy is at its peak and women Mm. are subjugated. You look at Tamar or Hagar in the Old Testament. One is a surrogate Egyptian slave for um, Abraham and Sarah. Mm -hmm. And we see this story of a woman taken advantage of and and she is the first to name God, the God who sees El Roy. And then you look at um, Tamar, who's taken advantage of by her brother, her own brother, uh, sexually assaults her. And David does nothing to step in in that moment, you know, and, and so much is lost in their family mm-hmm. and there's so much to grieve there. So not only do we have positive examples of what can happen mm-hmm. when women take their place and are seen as equals and use their voice and aren't stifled, but we also see the degradation of what happens when women are subjugated. So I think you have to take it all into consideration. And, and mm-hmm. we've really, over time, we've allowed the rest of the world to advance. We've allowed women to hold places in Fortune 500 companies and in medicine and education and in politics. But we still, we are holding to this, um, dare I say, faulty theological perspective where women Mm -hmm. are second. And that really comes from uh, this belief, you know, the early church fathers believed that women were deformed men with their genitals on the inside instead of the outside, or that women were the source of all lust and evil in the world. And men were the picture of purity um, because they were perfect in the eyes of other men. So women, we represented this kind of like hussy vibe, if you will. (laughs) That's the best description Mm -hmm. I could think of right now. This um, lusty way of living. And so when you, when that was in the in the the minds and the influence of those early church fathers that steeped into the church, starting with the first century church. The early church was so countercultural. Mm-hmm. You see women leading Priscilla, you see uh, Junia, you see Lydia, you see all these women. And then it was the Greco-Roman influence of the time saying, no, women are, are deformed. Women are evil. Women are um, mm. are are not of God. And so the outside culture is what influenced the church because that wasn't the way of the church. And G- I mean, Jesus left the message of the resurrection on the shoulders of a woman. Clearly he had a plan for women um, to, to contribute to goodness in the world. So for me, it was reading the scriptures um, as an early 20 something. And again, I had these positive examples in my life of women leading, of men who empowered women. Um, In fact, the majority of the mentors in my life who've really walked with me through some of the biggest life changes and career um, decisions have all been men. They've all been men. Mm. Um, in an appropriate manner, um, who haven't exploited me. So when I found myself in a situation where I saw men taking advantage and weaponizing scripture and twisting it on its head, I was like, this ain't right. And I knew that because I had such great examples already in my life. So when I was faced with, um, people weaponizing scripture and twisting it and, and saying, well, you shouldn't be able to preach or speak or teach or write because here's why. And you're also a minority woman. Who do you think you are standing up and you don't have enough knowledge? You don't have enough education for this. And I'm like, because my Bible told me so. (laughs) Because the same Bible that you're reading, I'm reading it and I'm seeing this in context. And you see throughout history how um, women have played such a part. And it wasn't even till this is something that I've really, really been camping on is the more research I've done. And Beth Allison Barr, a graduate professor at Baylor, has some incredible work on this. Uh, talking about how the Industrial Revolution and the Reformation, that that combination was a pretty uh, toxic combination for women because they mm-hmm. weren't women of means, weren't women of resources. They didn't have um, the theological 
education to stand up to the men of their day who decided that the household codes of Ephesians 5 were going to be what silences them. So we see throughout history, women did play such a key role, but those aren't the narratives in the books that we're reading. So here we are in this century and in this time, and we're like, wait, are we built to just get married and have kids? And I I got married very young. I was 22. um, And I had both of my kids before I was 30. So I, I, I did fit all of that, you know, but I I Mm -hmm. never was like, no, this is not it. This is not why I'm here. This is part of my life for sure. But this isn't the ultimate. This isn't the ultimate for me, for me to follow Christ and for me to do what he's called me to do. That is number one. And a family is a part of that, but it's not it. You know how they say it takes a village to raise kids? Well, the Refined Collective is kind of my kid. It's my little baby. And it takes a village. And I officially want to invite you to be a part of my village. There are a lot of hard costs each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce episodes to licensing music and all the logistics for the Refined Collective. And I would love to invite you to join our Patreon community. Patreon is an incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support TRC for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you'll be notified before anyone else about upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward on the podcast. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to invite you to link arms with my team and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. I keep talking about Bridgerton on my podcast, because <laughs> the show on Netflix, because even though it was in the 1800s, it doesn't actually feel that far off from today yeah. in the sense that men are expected to be are expected to be sexual in a way that women aren't. Men aren't expected to be, quote unquote, pure. They use the term defiled a lot in the show. Yeah. So a, a girl is like, can't even have held a guy's hand or she's defiled. Yet all these guys, all their suitors are like running around town, sleeping mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. And a woman's lot in life and culture was to get married. Like that's what she was programmed yeah. for. And it we've made advances culturally, but honestly, I think that is still a huge part of what the female experience is like yeah. and in Western culture, at least there's this hypersexualization of women and Peggy Orstein talks about in her book, girls and sex, how something that a, a man will never understand is how from the time we're toddlers, we're being sexualized. Yeah. Women are like young children are, you know, being fed where this, you, you know, she calls it like the itty bitty shorts and the midriff and the string bikinis are being fed to toddlers and young children. And, and so we have a message of like, we're, we're too sexual. We're not sexual enough. And, um, Peggy talks about in her book when, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, um, came out on Vanity Fair as when she transitioned Mm -hmm. to becoming a woman and there, she said it was super interesting because, 
in a lot of the interviews that this picture of her on the cover of Vogue with her in this bustier and, you know, lips and hair flowing was being juxtaposed with the picture of Bruce Jenner at the Olympics where he's sweaty, he is like hairy arms. And it's she says, you know, as a man, he used his body for for work. And as a woman, she now displays it. Wow. And, wow. and so I feel like, man, that's the cultural message. Wow. But then in the church, it's like if you're single, it's like you're JV to the varsity. It's mm-hmm. if you're a fe- if you're a single woman, oh my gosh, like then that's dangerous. If you're a single woman of color, then wow. Yeah. I mean, I know like Malcolm X says the most uh the most oh my gosh, what's the what's the phrase? Oppressed? Is that the word you're the most for? oppressed woman in society is the black woman. Yeah. Yeah. And um Man, I just think, man, I thought we were supposed to be countercultural, but when I really zoom out, it seems like we have two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's so, I really like what you shared about we are to be on display and they're to be used. You know, so research shows as early as middle school, um, boys are expected to harass girls. It is, it is almost a rite of passage. And if they don't, they're seen as weak they're seen as girly. They're seen mm. as not man enough if they don't harass a girl. It's very hard to find a middle school girl who hasn't already been harassed or even assaulted by a peer. Mm. It is. It just starts so young of the, the cultural expectations. And obviously you're talking about even just the sexualization of childhood um, starting so young and just how we dress girls. You know, I, I, I've seen those petitions go around about um, petitioning to Target to have normal length shorts for for preteen girls. And it's just like, wow, wow. We cannot, we cannot stop pushing for equality and equality looks like respect and respect, respect does affect, um, appearance. And I think that, Mm -hmm. um, inviting boys, inviting men to own responsibility, inviting them to know that they, nothing that a girl wore or did or said or drank contributes to her harassment or assault. Mm. And we still, we want to blame women and girls, whether they're married, whether they're single, whether they're a person of color, whether they're up and out, down and out, you know, well-paid, low-paid, hourly salary, whatever the case may be. We want to blame a girl when something bad happens, Kat, Mm. because if she didn't do anything, it could easily happen to us. It's this form of self-preservation to believe that the patriarchy is actually looking out for us. And in reality, we must understand that it isn't. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. That's super powerful. Now, Tiff, I want to spend just a few minutes kind of unpacking the scriptures, uh, the Ephesian 5 scripture, which is the one that, in my experience, has been largely used to or misinterpreted or weaponized to oppress women. Yeah. Um, So how do you feel about digging into that? Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, so I'll read it just so people, just so we all have context. This is the wives submit to your husband text. It's read at a lot of weddings and it always makes me cringe. I'm like, (laughs) God, really? Could we have used like a, a different word to translate from the Greek? Because this is hard. Okay, so here it is. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right. So much in there. So much in there. So much. I mean, in we there. could talk for 10 hours about this. Um, yeah. What's so, your gut reaction when you hear those verses? Context. Mm-hmm. It, we take things out of context and it is so, it's dangerous, Kat. It's dangerous to take things out of context. And when you have, <laughs> I mean, forgive me, but when you have pastors and preachers writing our theological texts versus historians and researchers and scholars, it can get pretty dangerous when your devotionals aren't written by people who have done their due diligence. And I know that there is half the population in the Christian space who believe that it truly means that men are the head. And I respect that. I do respect that. So I just want to apologize for any hate mail you're about to get. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. But when we look at Paul's words, we must look at the context. We must. And contextually, that first part of the passage, that wouldn't have been new news, right? That wouldn't have been anything new that his audience would have heard. He was quoting what was expected in his time and day to honor each other. Women's, w- women, honor your husbands. Um, husband, But then the second half to say, husbands, lay down your lives. That would have been like, what? Because you have to remember, women were property. Women were acquired. Mm-hmm. We'd love to think like the story of David and Abigail was this love story. No, he acquired her. It was a bill of sale, mm-hmm. you know? So in a time where women were acquired as, as property, almost, you know, akin to slavery, um, women had the exact same rights as a slave in that time. They were acquired. You you are now my wife and you didn't have any say in the matter. So for him to quote that first part, he was merely quoting the expectations of the day. And then in that second half, he's inviting men to consider themselves as their as servants and as, as co-heirs and as partners and to serve their wives. That would have been literally rocket science. Like I have to love her because love was never mm-hmm. on the table, Kat. Love and care, that was never part of the deal. So to consider her well-being, to to be a partner with her, that was a truly like, you got to be kidding me. This is part of the deal now. And then we always mm-hmm. like to overlook, um, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. That's why my favorite translation of that is submit to one another. So he's saying, okay, this is what is expected. What you know, culturally is what he's speaking to women right? And then he addresses the men and he's saying, biblically, you know, not biblically, excuse me, excuse me. What Jesus invites is, and he (laughs) shares what, what men are invited to do. And then I love how he talks about out of your reverence for Christ, submit to one another. So we're invited Mm -hmm. for this partnership. We're invited to look upon one another as equals in, in the 
in the intimacy of our home, but then also out of that understanding of how men and women are to treat each other in the most intimate and vulnerable of relationships, we can mm-hmm. take that same equality. We can take that same respect and dignity and, and equity into every place and space we occupy. Mm. It's so, it's so important. It's so important. And I think you, when you addressing the context, that's, I feel like that's the thing, like hermeneutics 101, like how Mm -hmm. to study the Bible when it was one of the first courses I took in college. And the main lesson is before any text is for me, it was written to a, it was written from someone to someone Mm -hmm. during a specific time. Yeah. In a specific culture for a specific reason, for a specific message. So we yeah. can't just take one sentence out. It, it would be like reading any book and being like, oh, I'm taking up. Oh, I saw a, a post on Justin Bieber's Instagram and it said that he loves me. So I guess Justin Bieber loves me. Yeah. I mean, just completely. I mean, that's a bad yeah. example, but completely out of context. And totally. when I researched the, the context of the culture of Ephesus at the time, you know, Ephesus was this metropolitan space where there were, there were ports. And so there was a lot of, um, trade and trade and buying and selling. And so it was a very fast paced sort of city. And you're right. Men, men were not expected to be faithful. It was a well-known fact that men had mistresses and wives because why women didn't have a voice in culture or a voice in religious institutions as well. Mm-hmm. And this is what distinguished like the Jesus message from so many other of the God messages and cultural messages of the time. It was like, okay, so in a time where women were viewed as property and slaves and their lot in life was to keep a home and provide a male heir for their spouse, and they were in loveless contractual marriages, the invitation yeah. of Jesus is so countercultural yeah. to say, no, like, love, yeah. be faithful. What yeah. did Jesus do for the church? Jesus laid down his life for the church. Exactly. And so I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, Tiff, but if anything, I'm like, if anyone is supposed to be out serving the other, you know, I'm supposed to respect my partner, but this man is supposed to die for me. Mm. Like that's radical. And so I feel like this text is less about this Archie Bunker sort of, you know, um, Betty Homemaker experience that so many of us have experienced in um, Christian culture. And it's more about this invitation of radical love, radical respect, a transformational sort of love that's rooted in who God is. And in light of that, who God says that we are and how we're supposed to be with each other. I think also just the the icing on the cake of this is look what can happen when women and men work together, when they mm. are co-heirs, when they are partner. Look what can happen when you really do see each other as equal. Look at the, the spaces and the world that you can create together. Because I think um, sometimes when I come at you know, this issue of like addressing unchecked misogyny and taking down the patriarchy. I don't want it to be heard as like women only. I'm saying, what Mm. if we could flourish together? What could that look like? And how can we put accountability in place for all parties, but specifically men who have abused their power in their homes, in their workplaces, in their churches. And we, I'm pushing for us all to, to work together. 
Mm, I agree. I mean, I feel like when I talk about this stuff, the next question I get is like, oh, so like you think that, you know, you hate men and the future is female. (laughs) And I'm like, no, the future is the God image and humanity. Come on now. Flourishing. Come on now. And being redeemed. Like the God story is one that moves the needle forward in history towards a destination of reconciliation Mm -hmm. and restoration. There is, there are frameworks, there are patterns for for people, for women, for people of color, especially in our country that are set up to oppress. Right, right. And it is time to stop using scripture to justify that. Yep. Like this is not God's heart. Like for me, what I kind of go back to is, is whatever the narrative is, is it rooted in fear or freedom? Right. Is it rooted in lack, oppression, or flourishing? Because 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And the invitation of Jesus is that his load is light yeah. and his burden, like to give, give our burdens to him. So I'm like, if there is a narrative that is rooted in oppression and fear, then man, my red flags should be alarming. Right, right. Oh, I love that. Is it out of fear or flourishing? And I think that as women, we need to ask ourselves that. And as men too, when we Mm -hmm. share our power or our position or our platform, we mustn't think that we're going to lose out. Like this isn't Mm. a a pie. There's not a limited amount to go Mm. around. Like we, we all win when each other wins, right? Like when we are willing to extend our hand, I think, especially forgive me talking to men specifically, like when men are willing to see themselves as allies, not squashing a woman's potential or power or voice, but locking arms with her to uplift her. He rises too. He rises Mm. too. As a culture, we're taught to do really kind of whatever it takes to advance our career. We'll invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into our education. We'll take intern jobs with little to no pay for the experience. If you're like me, you will have moved cross country multiple times to put yourself out there. But then with things like love, we say, oh, it'll just happen when it happens. And with things like, do I want kids or not? We say, oh, I'll think about that someday down the road. I'm focusing on me right now, or I'm working on my career right now. But what if we were just as intentional about our reproductive health and our fertility health as we were about our careers? The reality is women are having children later in life, but biology hasn't changed and we need tools to understand the future of our fertility. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Now, traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash refined, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, you need information to make the decision that's best for you. 
So right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners at the Refined Collective $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. That means you get the test for $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it would cost you at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash refined. Just one more rabbit trail as as we close because I, it came up while you were just sharing that because I I think a real practical way that this can show up in in dating is I I get asked all the time well I don't know if I can date that guy because I don't know if he can lead me oh great okay <laughs> oh my god so yes, what are your thoughts about that about okay let's just so, you know give me your give me your like five minute oh, TED talk on that. Okay. Well, listeners, if that has happened to you, I first want to say countless women over the years that I've mentored, discipled, led in Bible studies, um, speaking and loving and serving and discipling women is kind of my jam. And that is probably one of the top three things that people have come to me when they're dating somebody or even already married. And I look at them and I said, well, are you leading him too? Like, are you leading together? (laughs) Because I think we have set men up to fail. We expect them to be these great, awesome leaders and lead us in devotions every morning and make all the decisions to save our family and hold us, you know, carry us on their backs through the hard times. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, we're obsessed with this uh, superwoman, you know, Wonder Woman narrative. But then we want we want to be catered to in a way that we have been fed for so long, and we really mm-hmm. are setting men up to fail, and we're setting ourselves up to fail. My answer to this is: You are co-leaders. Where he is weak, may you be strong. Where you are weak, may he be strong. And isn't that partnership? where you make amends and come to the table with where somebody is not strong. It is my Mm. honor. I've been married uh, almost 12 years. And I I mean, I hit the decade point a few years ago. So I feel like a couple years ago, so I feel like I can talk to this, but I have never expected my husband to lead me. I just want to say that. I'm going to repeat that again, y'all. I've never expected (laughs) my husband to lead me because we're leading together. We're in this together. Right. Well, and in that as well, I think it's important to just acknowledge that my spiritual growth is up to me. Come on, girl. It's not dependent on him. It's not like dependent my, on him. Like I, the only person I can take responsibility over, essentially, is myself. Come on. I'm not here to on, fix, save, change anyone. Only God can change hearts. Yep. And also, so in reverse of that, it's it's not your partner, your significant other, a potential person that you're curious about dating. And I'm not saying like, I, I'm not saying that I don't think it matters that we share a faith. Like to me, I want to be with someone who really loves, loves God and loves Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I think often we're looking for a spiritual clone or Mm -hmm. someone who's further along than us spiritually and as opposed to a partner. Yep. Yeah. And it's not your significant other's responsibility to make you grow. It's not his job. It's not his job to help you in the gym. It's not his job to whatever. It's like, I can only take responsibility for how I'm showing up. And I love, I love what you said is like, I'm looking for a co-lead. Yep. I'm looking for, looking a, co-lead. for a co-lead. I also like, think let's... when we ask, when we say that, like, I don't know if he can lead me. What are we really asking? I don't know. Right. If, I don't know if he's a man of stability. I don't know mm. if he's responsible. 
I don't know if he could pay the bills on time. Ask yourself what you're really mm. asking, because that's a broad stroke of a question. And uh, going back to what you just said, which I just freaking love, is this out of fear or out of flourishing? Do mm. I fear that he wouldn't be able to be faithful? Like, what are we really asking when we're asking if he can lead me? Because I think we're passing up some good men, girls, when we ask, oh, but I don't know if he could lead me. Like, wait, what? What? He is a human <laughs> being out there struggling in them streets. We just got to give everybody a break. Also, if you don't puke in your mouth a little, go on a second date. <laughs> yes. So good. Uh, Tiffany, thank you so much for just your time and your heart. I adore you. I am so excited just to have a friend like you in my life. I just, I love you. And I want everyone and everyone and their mom and their dad and their friends to buy your book, Pray Till. It's important. So can you just tell people how they can get their hands on that and maybe just like a paragraph synopsis on what the book's about? Yeah. So pray tell you can buy it at Tiffany Bloom at B-L-U-H-M.com. Links to all retailers there. And it is about, again, everything we've kind of covered today, which is unchecked misogyny and abusive power at a woman's expense and how I, in my life of following all the rules, you know, type A, Enneagram 3 girl played by all the the church rules and then found myself in a place where the church didn't step up and I uncovered mm. why we silence women who tell the truth and the social, financial, professional, and theological ramifications for doing so and inviting all of us to ask ourselves the ethical question, what is my role? Am I complicit in systems of abuse or am I an active ally to women? So good. Mike, freaking drop. What, what? mic drop. All right, girl. I'll talk to you soon. Mm, love you. We're in this together. Bye-bye. Love you. All right, friend. I hope you hear my heart in this episode. And really, I love how Tiffany said it. Like, let's be co-leads together. The world wins when we all win. There really is a seat at the table for all humans. And let's be curious when we are in situations and circumstances and narratives that tell us otherwise. So, have an incredible day. Check Tiffany out. Oh, also, if you want to support my Patreon, go to patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. You can get weekly live videos from me, kind of more personal behind the scenes looks at the episodes and what's going on in my life. So join patreon.com slash The Refined Collective to learn more. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.